For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to the latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up Newsletter, complete with the obligatory ask. In this case, that if you are a YouTube subscriber, please ring the bell so that you get a notification when we post a new video. And if you're not a YouTube subscriber, become one and then ring the bell. Right, back to climate disasters. Or so we're told. Last week it was the unprecedented hurricanes that weren't, and this week it's the unprecedented wildfires that represent the revenge of Gaia or some such. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee called them, quote, climate fires, not wildfires. And since this point is often raised about skeptics, let me note that he's not a climate scientist. Joe Biden said, quote, the science is clear and deadly signs like these are unmistakable. Climate change poses an imminent existential threat to our way of life, end quote. And here I have to mention that Biden is also not a climate scientist, in case anyone cares, which they should because he's quite wrong about the science. As with the hurricanes, these fires are not unprecedented. In fact, there's considerable evidence that in North America, to quote one study, modern, that's 1984-2009 annual area burned, was only 14% of that burned annually prior to European settlement, covering approximately the 1500-1850 period, and, as for more recent periods, quote, the general perception of increasing fire around the world is not supported by the data available to date, end quote. On the contrary, it seems that in the United States, big megafires were about four times more common before 1940 than since, and that's not exactly ancient history, even by shallow modern standards, is it? Nor does the U.S. get less, or more, rain than it used to. Bad land management and bad weather have started these fires, as the former has always done, and the latter can be counted on to do, just as the vultures can be counted on to swoop in and then swoop out again without explaining why, for instance, if climate change set Canada on fire in 2016 and 2017, and the Amazon in 2019 and Australia, it left them all alone in 2020. Or without mentioning what happened in California in the 16th century, the prolonged mega drought in the late 13th century, or the two-century monster drought from the 9th to the 12th centuries. Oh, one more thing. You remember how the 2016 Fort McMurray fire was widely blamed on climate change? Well, apparently this year, quote, it has been a quieter than usual wildfire season in Western Canada that can be attributed to the mixed blessings of rainy weather and isolating effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, end quote. Got that? Global warming hammered Alberta in 2016 while sparing California, which I guess is on another globe. Then it pummeled the Amazon in Australia in 2019. And then in 2020, it walloped California and Oregon, but gave BC a pass. See, if it's bad, it's climate, and if it's good, it's just weather. The newsletter also talks about the weird bind that German Chancellor Angela Merkel is in, where she has to support this geopolitically crippling $11 billion Nord Stream pipeline to make her country and Western Europe more dependent on Vladimir Putin's natural gas because she's made such a mess of her progressive energy vendor lurch away from reliable fossil and nuclear power to the wind and solar phantoms. We also ridicule the Wall Street Journal for buying a stark warning from an advisory panel to the top U.S. commodities regulator, that's the Commodities Future Trading Commission, saying, quote, climate change poses a major risk to the stability of the U.S. financial system, end quote, and goes on to add that business people are too dumb to see it coming. Yep, even the ones involved in commodities future trading, a vast, immensely complex, high-stakes system in which producers, consumers, and anyone else willing to put their money where their mouth is, 
buys and sells things on the future based on their estimate of how prices will move once all, yep, risk factors are taken into account. Indeed, businesses are supposedly too dumb not just to see it coming, but to look out the window and see it now that it's here. Because we're told it has already arrived, for instance, in the form of wildfires burning stuff up, which you'd think would reduce their value. On the other hand, we're told governments see everything coming, except big wildfires because you suppressed fires while letting fuel loads accumulate. We also discuss a video from Vox about how the US can just waltz away from fossil fuels in one chart, which combines talk of a heroic effort with this line, quote, we have the technology to do it, we have the resources, the only question is whether we want to do it, end quote. Once again, it's hard to have a sensible conversation with people who don't believe in trade-offs. And speaking of trade-offs and their importance, we therefore applaud Tony Brown's very important question about these sorts of cries for reckless action that brush aside the consequences, which is this. If we do reach net zero carbon in 2030 as Extinction Rebellion wants, or 2050 as the Paris crowd prefers, what happens next? How long, he wants to know, do they think it will take for CO2 to fall to safe levels and then for temperatures to do the same? As we've said before, it's not obvious to us that the temperature in 1970 was perfect. But suppose it was for purposes of argument, and if we get back there, no more wildfires, hurricanes, or allergies. Okay, how quickly do the massive sacrifices involved in weaning ourselves off fossil fuels get us back to that Arcadia? Because if these zealots can't say, they don't have a plan at all, let alone a good one. In the newsletter, we also acknowledge Jay Budzichewski's unexpected shot at Galileo and those who cite him as an icon for challenging authority while they're upholding it. Because Budzichewski says, yes, the church should not have jumped on Galileo, but Galileo was guilty of ignoring evidence. His proposed circular orbits really didn't fit what people were seeing in the night skies because planetary orbits are elliptical. It seems that science is so complicated that even its history is full of surprises. And as Budzichewski says, Galileo's story, quote, ought to serve as a reminder that policy can never be based on what the science says because science never speaks with one voice. The evidence doesn't speak for itself. It may not even be clear what counts as evidence in the first place. And the evidence is viewed through the lens of preconceived ideas that may be wrong, end quote. So he warns us, quote, disagreement among scientists is normal and healthy, end quote. Weird, huh? Speaking of surprises, here's another one. A sudden surge in temperature in Spain in um, the late 1700s, after which it's been flat. And as for those famous hottest years ever, it seems in Spain they fall mainly in the past. Seven of 10 were before 1610. The only one in the 20th century was 1961, whereas two of the 10 coldest years were 1999 and 2005. Meanwhile, from our ongoing collaboration with CO2Science.org, it seems that one effect of increasing carbon pollution is that it increases plant resistance to pathogens and thus increases crop yields. And another finding, these warnings that warming will cause the breeding cycle of birds to get out of sync with those of the prey animals they depend on, in Finland at least, those warnings are wrong. Visit our website, subscribe to the newsletter and the YouTube videos, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and give us money. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson.